0: on the 28th of May. So get in and get your tickets. Now they are going very fast. Please go to guiltyfeminist.com and just click on live shows for any of these events.
1: Did aliens build the pyramids? Is Greta Thunberg really a time traveller? And why don't women's clothes have pockets? These are just some of the questions we attempt to answer in our podcast, The New Conspiracist. I'm Jolly and Rubenstein, and each week, me and James Ball are joined by a famous guest as we deliberate what makes conspiracy theories believable or rejectable. From Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment, The New Conspiracist Season 3 is out now. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to part two of The Guilty Feminist, so plug in and get ready for the fun. Hello Canberra! Are you ready for a little bit more Guilty Feminist? Then please welcome back to the stage Deborah Francis White and Nikki Britton! Hello, hello, hello Canberra and when I say Canberra I do of course mean Canberra this audience everyone's been saying backstage this audience is a veritable who's who of Canberra (laughs) are there any feminist ministers who aren't here? that's the thing do you have a do you have a minister for women here? (laughs) why is
2: that funny? incredibly it's a woman (laughs) really hasn't always been the case (laughs) well
0: didn't abbott make himself minister for women at one point yes i
2: remember that era that yeah. was strange wasn't it yeah what, what do you think he was thinking there what i was mean going the, his mind? there was still onion on his breath it's hard to know it's hard to know it's hard to know what was going through tony's head at any given moment really in, re- in regard to those things I, t- I, t- I don't know i mean people in this crowd will know will be able to quote The things that he said, I'm sure you're nodding. You're not helping out though. You're not really shouting, (laughs) shouting things out. Can can anyone can anyone do a Tony Abbott quote? What's that?
0: Shit happens. happens. (laughs) Is that his original? (laughs) Feels like how David Brent would claim quotes. Shit happens. (laughs) That was mine. Um, Yeah. No person Yes No person could be the suppository of all knowledge and yet he managed. <laughs> um, shout out if you've got a job in Canberra that we haven't heard about that you would like us to hear about. Slash or you are the Minister for Women. <laughs> Has anyone got a job that they haven't told us about that they'd like to? Yes? What's yours? A women's woodworking oh. so I'm just saying it into the mic against so the audience can home can hear. Yeah. The, you work at a women's woodworking shed. Yeah. So that um, it's, we do classes for adults, for women. Classes for adults. And for kids. Um, kids. Hilary yeah. Hillary and To, to, so it's a supportive environment where girls can learn woodwork yeah. and build confidence as well as chairs okay great and yet you did not volunteer for Hillary's thing I did I my oh she wooed a few times she did Hillary. she did it was my mistake
2: I didn't see her but no no okay Okay. That is that is I like the idea that you could build confidence, then build a chair. Yeah. And then just have a good sit down. Yes. It's Can, exhausting being
0: a woman. Could I, could you could they build a stage for themselves? They could build build their own soapbox. I love this. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Build their own platform. Build their own power structures. That's right. Our motto oh, is, come and build yourself. Very good. Well, this is perfect, Hillary. Where is Hillary? Yes. Did you get lots of people in the interval coming and saying hi? 13? 13 people. Oh, you're sorted for the rest of the year. <laughs> done and done. Excellent. I would like... if I, Next time I come to Canberra, can I come and do a workshop at your school and I'm going to be teaching when someone says, come to the mic, how to say, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'd like to be first. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, come. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come out. I would totally come and do that. I'd totally come and do that. Um, so next time I'm in town, I will do that. Yay! Um, and <laughs> what I love about this is it really leads us into our theme because um, we're talking about being a professional woman and how power structures within. Organizations and uh, supporting different sorts of women and supporting Indigenous women and Indigenous people in organizations throughout. Incredible guest who we're getting on in a little bit. Mm. What I want to know is because we've both really opted out of having jobs. Yes. Like somehow or other, we've worked out how not to work. Mm. Like this is, I mean, obviously we do work hard in as much as we, you know, going and, do, you know, who am I kidding? Um, no, we do. It's, it's a, actually at the moment we've got a, re- a really intense schedule. We like fly and perform, fly and t- you know, perform and go and do a radio show or whatever. But it's not a workplace so much as a play space, what yes, we do. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I get to meet all these wonderful people and get to see all these incredible comedians and work with them. Um, can I ask you, mm. Nikki...
2: What was your very first job? Did you have a Saturday job or anything? Yeah, I did. Uh, my very very first job was at a they called a sports warehouse. A sports warehouse. Yeah. And what and I did I was you do there? Selling people shoes. <laughs> That I did not have the qualifications nor training to know about, oh, like
0: running trainers. And yeah, running, like, that. Like, like proper, like proper people, running shoes.
2: athletes would come in and say, "Oh, you know," or, or mums would be like, "Oh, he's got flat arches. Can you? What's the best running shoe because he has?" To, and I'd be like. um... This one's good. That one's good. Yep. That. Yep.
0: Just so you would just come forward with confidence and say, Well, can you see here, this is this is yeah. the support mechanism here, and this is the one you need. So you were responsible for a generation of flat footed children.
2: Yeah, yeah, I could have been. I didn't have that job for long. I, I, I no, sort that's of that's good. That's the, good in it is, respect. Yeah. It's for the best. Were for you fired? Of a generation? Have you ever been fired? I I respectfully removed myself. <laughs> from a job once. What did you respectfully remove yourself from? Well, it was sort of oh, it was a cleaning job and you would go into people's houses and I was I, I was just at one of those moments in life where I was like, I'll oh, just do anything. Go, fo- yep. Oh. Cleaning job and you would show up and they would give you all of the equipment and you would get the keys to someone's house and you would <gasps> go and you would clean their house. I am not a tidy person. <laughs> I was, I mean, there was there were products there and I was like, I don't even No, I I don't. I don't know where to spray this. I don't even know what how what should I be doing. And then it sort of culminated. I mean, you know the song "Carol of the Bells." Do you know the tune? Oh yes, yes, yes. That should have been. Well, it should. Like if I could do a montage of what went on that afternoon. (laughs) It would have just been that song underneath me and just panic-stricken faces, like my panic-stricken face as I chased foaming carpet cleaner that wasn't supposed to be on the carpet. Now there's there's white patches on the carpet. There was a cat in the house. I was ironing a shirt. The cat jumped on the ironing board. The iron fell near the cat. Not on the cat, but I... I, it, it, then there was a bucket of water that I was mopping the top floor. I stepped backwards. I put my foot in the bucket of water. Oh God, is, I knocked the water this is down a, the mis, stairs.
0: Mis, Mr. Bean's cleaning It service. was, honestly... <laughs>
2: I couldn't have choreographed it worse. I couldn't have... And so then the person who was coming to assess how well I'd clean the house opened the door. Oh, no, 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 no. And I just looked at her I said, well, I think, I think we can all agree that I will not be coming back. No! Yeah. Wow. And did she just say yes? Yeah, she said no. That's what I said... I did tell her that I got an allergic reaction to the cleaning products that they were using. Uh, I said, I, can't, I couldn't possibly come back. She hadn't looked behind me at this point. She hadn't seen the carnage. And um, I said, I can't possibly come back. And she said, that's very strange. They're all incredibly natural products. And I was like, well, nuts are natural. And a lot of people have died from those allergies. So I'll, uh, I'll be off. Thank you. Nuts are natural. Nuts you, are natural.
0: And a lot of people died from those allergies as you backed out of the devastation. <laughs> Ruins of a house. Yes.
2: As Excellent. I, Excellent. As I so, afraid there wasn't the, an iron print on the cat. The closest you've come to being fired. That was. Yeah. And at what
0: point did you realise you don't want a job and you want
2: to do comedy instead? Oh, well, very early on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> very early on. I, rem- I, I wanted to be some kind of performer ever since I was a kid, and then comedy just well, comedy happened because I was telling a story at a friend's barbecue very drunk and someone said you should try this professionally and um i, I so thought you that's told ridiculous told a story
0: drunk and someone said you should be a comedian you went all right then <laughs> wow i'm, I'm i've got a real yes and vibe <laughs> yeah absolutely I'm sure yeah. my first job was working at uh, do you know the Corumban bird sanctuary animal yes. sanctuary? yeah I worked at the ice cream bar there. (gasps) Yeah. And on the coldest day of the year, they'd make the whole sanctuary free. It was like anyone could come. And I got uh, like repetitive strain injury from scooping so much ice cream on a cold day. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah, Still got it? Have you still? No, no, no. no, Oh, okay. no, 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 no. I was 13. Um uh, I th- I thought that I should back. have been working. I don't know if there were child labour laws or something. Can you get a job here 13? at thirteen? 13? Seems young. No, fourteen and nine months. Is there a minister for child labour here? Because <laughs> I think I'm owed compensation. Um, and we used to go. There was right ripple ice cream. It was like pink. It was really just tasted like vanilla, but it was pink, yellow, and blue. And uh, we used to call that ice cream mashed parrot. Because it, like it looked like the lorikeets. It looked like the lorikeets. And I remember a man coming in one day and going, I'll have some of the mashed parrot, please. And we always called it mashed parrot after that. Mashed um, parrot. Yeah. Good. And I got fired from the Ramada Hotel. Uh, for I used to work on the concierge, and I went for a break and left the money tin just out. <laughs> and when I came back, it was gone. And it was in the manager's office, and he was like, yeah, you can't work here
2: anymore. Oh, and I Details. Went, I went to oh, fine. Do you know what I did? I, I did get fired from something. Did you? I did I I, I was working as a waitress in, in a, a <laughs> when I met you? <laughs> yes. Um, that's how we got to do this actually. When I met a, a, I know I was a lyric. I was trying to make a joke but that's fallen flat. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I was working as a waitress in a theater restaurant, not like a dress up as Mm. a character theatre restaurant, but there was a theatre and there was a very fancy restaurant connected to it and everybody would come, there was a a seating from Mm. 6pm to 8pm and then everyone would go in and watch the theatre show. And so it was a very short shift, very quick, easy job really and uh, the kitchen would get busy but... For this period of time, but not crazy busy. Like, it wasn't even a well-attended restaurant. And the chef in there, and I... uh, Hashtag not all chefs, but fuck a lot of chefs, you know? (laughs) Like, if you've ever been a waitress, you know know what I'm talking about. Or a waiter when... I mean, they're not saving lives, but... You would think so. Mm. You would think so. I've seen Gordon Ramsay on the television. Yes. They flip out. It's just a
0: very strange... It, it's a high I stake. D- high, high pressure, time sensitive. Time-sensitive,
2: high pressure, but at the same time... It's not the military. Why do they act like that? Why do we have... Why are we glorifying this culture of absolute abuse? I think you're abuse? just putting off how you got fired, though. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've got that right. I don't... I don't yeah. I, also, I just don't like that we glorify these men being mm. furious at people mm. who are on a minimum wage mm. when they're cooking a meal... Which is something that women have been doing three times a day for yeah, generations. it's so true,
0: actually. It's you true. know? The way they have to say, yes, chef, like it's the military. Uh, yeah.
2: Well, I uh, did not say, yes, chef, this day. <laughs> I, uh, what did you say? Well, he gave me the meals to take out. It was a steak. And I took it to one of the tables. And the lady said, this isn't cooked enough. And of course, you know, chefs yeah. like steak to be very very rare and Mm. very you know this is a passion and so I took it back and I said oh the lady didn't it wasn't cooked enough could you cook it a little bit more and he of course was furious with me Mm, oh my god just just absolute outrage and abuse towards me for doing my job and I said okay well um I'm gonna uh, take this back out to her once you've cooked it and he gave it he I'll get to the point. He cooked it again, did it a little bit better, and then gave me the plate and then hurled a bit more abuse at me and said, "That's got to be enough for her. That's this and that's that, and tell her this." And I took the plate off and I went, "Oh!" and I dropped it on the floor and I said, "I guess you're gonna have to cook it again." Um, <gasps> wow. <laughs> and next time, don't talk to me like that when you give it to me. And I didn't. I didn't do any shifts after that. Um, <laughs>
0: Well, listen, I think you did the right thing, um, and I'm thrilled by that story, because sometimes they need to hear that. I bet he was more careful with the next uh, waitstaff, or he wasn't, and he's still being a dick somewhere. Good chance. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's time to bring on our guest. Our guest today is an Aboriginal woman from New South Wales who proudly identifies with the Warimai, Whalewan, Barkinji, Barkinji and Wiradjuri Peoples of New South Wales. Bell is the CEO of Courageo and has over 20 years of professional experience working nationally with various organisations to support cultural safety, leadership, humanistic approaches and governance in learning solution advice and evaluation. She's on various boards of organisations that support healing for individuals and families and Aboriginal business growth and entrepreneurship. These include the Canberra Indigenous Business Network and Karalika programmes. Belinda's experience working from grassroots through to senior exec level provides a unique approach to positive outcomes for people and organizations and she is a supporter of women in all areas. Please put your hands together and make incredible Canberra guilty fabulous woohooing noises for the wonderful Belinda Kendall! Belinda, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we feel so honoured to have you here, and I've already been fascinated by, I've heard little exciting snippets of uh, things Belinda's got to tell us backstage. Um, can I ask, are you run Karaju and Lighting the Spark initiative, um, can you tell us what those are?
3: Yes, I sure can. Thank you for having me. Um, so... If- Firstly, Karajo, so we're an um, Aboriginal professional services or management consulting company um, providing um, adult education, research monitoring and evaluation, assurance, child and family services in the areas of inclusion and diversity, um, children and families, government and corporate. Bit of a mouthful. (laughs) Um,
1: And we're based
3: here in Canberra, and we also have an office in Wollongong, but we... You know, have people based in Perth and Sydney and all across New South Wales and in Victoria. So we do all different bits and bobs. Um, Yeah, so we obviously work in Aboriginal Affairs, but we also work in all, um, yeah, across all fields, um, across all Australian society.
0: Um, that that sounds fascinating and sounds, I don't know how you have time to do all of that, um, but I'm excited to hear more about it. Can you tell us about Lighting the Spark? I sure can.
3: So Lighting the Spark is a really um, I suppose I'm a bit passionate about it. It's a really important initiative. Um, so I'm a part of Canberra Indigenous Business Network and we're a network of Aboriginal business owners across Canberra that have just come together pretty much to support one another. And we were approached by young change agents which is an organization um, obviously that is about change in young people and they have an initiative called lighting the spark so we were chosen as one of the let me count our four four areas across australia to run the program and it's a um, it's a two-day workshop to build entrepreneur skills and Solve problems um, through a business idea, basically, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young women age 14 and over, or 14 to 24, but we are a little bit flexible with different ages. And we've run one program already in NAIDOC week, which was the first week in July, and it was really, really successful. So these young women were just absolutely, absolutely amazing. The innovation and the capabilities just... Blows my mind to be totally honest.
0: So, Lighting the Spark is specifically supporting young Aboriginal women? Yes. 14 to 24. Yeah. But you will be flexible. If somebody is 13 mm. or 25,
3: or 27 has... or 28 or 29, I reckon I'd be flexible.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, that's definitely run by women, isn't it? It's like mm. we don't want to leave anyone out. Um, <laughs> so, and I love the name of it, Lighting the Spark. Because once the spark's lit, you know, it's a fire. And that's just absolutely wonderful. And presumably when yet these girls and young women get together, they come up with all sorts of things together as well and it's a great place for them to find each other and all sorts of projects probably spring up just because they've met each other there.
3: Oh, most definitely. and The problem-solving skills are just... Oh... Blows my mind, to be totally honest with you. They, they come up with ideas and they build networks within themselves to support one another. And we also have other um, Aboriginal women who are business owners come in and, to mentor. Oh, fantastic. So it builds that, you know, that whole network of support systems, which is what we need. It's, you know, surrounding yourself with strong women that help you along the way.
0: Are there any projects that you've got with Lighting the Spark that you'd like help with? Because there are a lot of people in this audience who have varying expertise... Um, and it's, it's really a minefield in here. Like a minefield's oh. the wrong word, isn't it? That's a bad thing. Um, it's really a treasure trove. It's a treasure trove, Canberra, of talent and uh, influential people who know people who can get you things. Um, if you need something animated over a very long period of time, I know <laughs> just the person. Um, if you need someone, something animated in seven to ten years, I am so on that. Um, <laughs> There are all sorts of people in this room, including the Minister for Education, that you know, right, could help. Yes. Um, Minister for Education, what's your name? Yvette. Yvette, sorry, yes. that's right. Thank Yvette. you. <laughs> I know you were Do you, you, do you know Yvette? Are you, you, were you Yvette's bridesmaid?
3: Of course I was. It's
0: Canberra, Ma- so probably. honour. What was that? Matron of honour. Matron of honour. <laughs> um, Yvette, Yvette, do you know Belle? You know the organisation, that's not the same as knowing Belle. Um, I think this could be this could be a really good relationship, Avet and Bell, because she's working with um, indigenous girls from 14. So that sounds really up your street, Event.
3: it would be actually great if Avet could support us. We actually are running one of the programs in ACT schools. Oh. We're running two, but due to staff shortages. We're only now running one, but it's oh, but if you could promote That's that for so
0: us. Disappointing. <laughs> because Yvette, so disappointing because they were running two <laughs> for indigenous girls and now sadly can only run one because of staff shortages
3: but if you can get as many girls in that room yes that would be fantastic <laughs> okay <laughs> so
0: you want you want uh, so event can you think of anything immediately you could do for bell <laughs> oh yes because you're you're also going you're going to hillary or you want bell to go to hillary you want bell to go to hillary this is what politicians do isn't it they go <laughs> why don't you two do it i'll put like, listen it's it's what i do to be honest it's what i'm doing i can't blame you um i'm literally pointing at two people who live in canberra and saying why don't you do something together and i'm leaving tomorrow i'm going to brisbane um I can't judge. I can't judge. But this does sound phenomenal. And if anybody here is interested in lighting the spark and getting involved in this, uh, I, it sounds like you could use help. Um, Most definitely. Can I ask, in the current structures, what's the shift in culture that's needed to support women and
3: especially indigenous women? Um, everything. Just everything. everything? Um, firstly is obviously bias and unpacking unconscious bias and, you know, critically reflecting on ourselves and the structures that we have to be able to make change. It's also around, um, you know, I suppose it's about giving up a bit of control, Um, probably a lot of control, to be totally honest. It's about, um, you know, addressing the paternalism. So those structures are all built on... um, paternalistic and western ways and it's about having an environment that allows people to bring their whole selves to work Mm. so whether you're a woman you're a black woman whatever you are bringing your whole um bringing your whole self to work because that's where people are most productive
0: is there a way that you you when you go into companies is there a way that you unlock that because I've heard companies say, we want you to bring your whole self to work, and I always think, no, you don't. <laughs> you definitely don't. I mean, because, um, I mean, honestly, if if people really brought their whole selves to work, they'd be fired in 20 minutes. We just heard a story about how yeah, Nikki I brought, brought her whole self to that house yeah. that I think. Hey, Nikki brought and... her whole self to work, and, and she was immediately fired. Yeah. I, I, I think, but I, but I do think. 100% we need to bring more of our authenticity to work and if we're hiding parts of ourselves or trying to make ourselves more like the dominant group to fit in yeah. it's a problem because then what's the point of hiring diversely if everyone then has to hire, then has to behave like the dominant group because then it is just a box ticking exercise so is there any way that you can share with us about how culturally we can re- um, it it
3: change the culture so that people can bring their whole selves to work? I think the first step is actually understand your organisational culture because I don't think a lot of organisations actually have looked at what the actual culture is within the organisation. We do a bit of an um, organisational audit and within that, then there's um, cultural safety. But it comes, it comes down to be open to having meaningful conversations Wanting to um, and meaningful might mean difficult. <laughs> so just being strengths based. So having those conversations are absolutely vital in changing um, in changing culture, understanding what motivates people, being clear on your um, on your purpose and your goals and your objectives, and being really clear about the expected behaviours. Within your organisation, so it's 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 at all levels. So it needs to be come from you, you know very up, very top around your governance and strategy. So it filters through. Um, so it filters through all um, levels. It needs to be written into your policies. So there needs to be a shift at at all levels, and it can be done. And I've seen it done really really well. Be,
0: you think it can be done if if, 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 if there's will at the top?
3: Almost oh, definitely.
0: When you talk about cultural safety, what does that
3: mean? So that means cultural safety is around where people don't feel threatened or assaulted in any area about who they are. So, And it's not about lots of organisations talk about being culturally safe, like we're culturally safe, and we're like, well, that's probably not up for you to say
4: mm. because it's actually,
3: it's actually about how the people feel. So it's a feeling of cultural safety. It's not up to, you know, dictating that you're going to feel culturally safe when you come here. Mm. It's Mm. about the feeling. So what's a way that someone could feel culturally unsafe? Oh, where do I start? (laughs) Um, So culturally unsafe is, well, firstly, that you don't even feel that you can bring your whole self to work. Mm -hmm. That's first and foremost, but it's the sniggly comments. It's having you know, there's you know, polychronic and monochronic cultures. So, polychronic's more collective culture; monochronic's more individualistic. Nothing wrong with either, but everything is built on monochronic concepts. So, have we even looked at our leave policies? Have we even looked at all our policies to ensure that they fit mm. um, or meet the needs of um, people from different cultures outside the dominant Western? Western culture. Mm -hmm. There's um, having obviously your policies, there's your practices, your programs, your recruitment. Are we ensuring we're having unconscious, you know, we're addressing our unconscious bias in recruitment? Or instead we're seeing a name and we thought, oh no, they're just over there. There's lots of things you can do. Move remove names when you're doing recruitment processes. Mm. So it is a fair and you know equitable process.
0: I heard a brilliant story about a film festival in Australia did this it was a short film festival in Australia and they had of the films that were shown nine, like 90% of them were male filmmakers, writers and directors and then they were like how do we make this we want to get more women in, you know, uh, you know making the finals and blah 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 and they they said what what can we do about that? And they said well let's try doing uh, gender-blind judging, so they just took the names off so they didn't know if it was made by a man or a woman. Do you know how many... Do you know what the gender split was that year? 50-50. As soon as they went from... They couldn't get it past, like, 90 or 80-10, and then suddenly it was 50-50. And it's just... There's so much unconscious bias. Mm. And we can have unconscious bias for our own gender because we've all spent our whole life Look, watching movies in which a CEO looks like a man or uh, a graphic designer looks like a man, an animator looks like a man, and so on and so on and so on. And whiteness, even more so. Um, so, this is such important stuff. But cultural safety is a really important thing to think about. Um,
2: Nikki? <laughs> <laughs> I was deep in that. I was deep in that. <laughs> I could tell. I was thinking about all of the male stand up comedians. And how, yeah. how many audiences we've walked out to. Oh, yeah. Who Plus, just go, oh. I've seen people say with their mouths when I've walked out, I don't like find women funny.
0: I don't <laughs> like female comedians. And they're in the front row. Yeah. And I'm like, it's not TV. I can see what you're saying. It's really, yeah. then you have to spend five minutes proving you're as good as the man. I don't know. That's it. It's kind of exhausting. But absolutely. Um, there's a lot of unconscious bias for comedy. Every time I do well in a comedy club, someone will come up to me at the bar bell and go, just to let you know. I don't normally find women funny. Yeah. But I thought you were hilarious. I'm like, thank you for resting your bigotry for that full 15 minutes. I
2: don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Do you have (laughs) a question? I do. I do. Um, Why is it important to support and encourage entrepreneurship in Aboriginal women? From your point of view, from yeah, yeah, yeah. what have I you seen grow and flourish? You know, what are some great new stories about how Aboriginal women are creating work for themselves and, and other people through entrepreneurship?
3: Most definitely. Um, it is super important. I can't, I'm probably the biggest advocate for um, Aboriginal women in business. Um, having our women in business or... Aboriginal business has such a significant outcome. So there's economic outcomes, there's social outcomes that are positive for... Because it doesn't just impact us. In, in our business, we usually recruit our people, which makes a difference. We, you know, it doesn't just um, have a benefit for our family, it has a benefit for our community. So the economic benefits are obviously a way forward and it is absolutely, um, absolutely key... And in my, my experience, our women are bloody good decision makers. Can make a good decision quickly as well. Um, don't have to, you know, beat around the bush six months to make a decision about one thing and make good decisions. And the decisions made are based on collective outcomes. Mm. So, And our women have the innovation, the skills, the capability to run design, develop, and run beefy, high-quality businesses in all areas. What
0: are some of the projections and poor assumptions made about
3: Aboriginal female-led businesses? Well, from, I suppose my biggest bugbearer is that lots of people think that as an Aboriginal business, we only work in Aboriginal affairs. And while we're, we're bloody good at that and we do it really, really well, we also work in other areas. So that, for me, is, I suppose, a bit annoying, to be totally honest. Um, our women also hold massive responsibilities and cultural load and, you know, re- community responsibilities. Um I think it's around just supporting Aboriginal women with their ideas and doing whatever we need to do. Is that the people talk about equity and equality, which there's a big difference. Lots of people think, oh, well, everyone's on the same plane, Like, everyone's just equal. That's if you start from an equal playing field. Let's give people what they need to be able to, you know, look over the fence. I'm sure people have seen the image Um but i think it's about giving people a go and addressing your addressing bias in the first place mm-hmm. to even give people a go because what we find is once we get into a, you know into an organisation we never get out
5: mm-hmm.
4: because
3: it's based on relationships it's based on quality we don't treat people as a number it's not about greed it's mm-hmm. it's about doing a good job to solve the problems that are needed
0: and your point that it's a human business, and if you you don't you don't go to a business run by white men and go oh so you'll only want to work on white white guy projects, and so similarly that that yeah. assumption would never be made, but if it's an Aboriginal woman based led business it's like oh so you we'll only get you in when we have something specifically indigenous to for you to consult on or for it to be about diversity and inclusion and cultural sensitivity and that kind of thing, but actually you're like, yeah, but we can consult on other stuff. We are, we're we're human beings with good ideas. How about you just bring us in to consult on something that's completely other than that? But they tend to pigeonhole you and assume you're only able to consult on those things so that's a really that's a really good thing and i'm sure there'll be lots of people listening and you operate all over australia so um if you are listening and you're thinking oh yeah that's a great point and you're looking for some new consultation on these issues or other ones curajo which is spelled c-u-r-i-j-o is for you and if you think lighting the spark you might be able to help with that or you need that um also look that up. Something we were talking about backstage, Belinda, that we both thought was really, really interesting um, was um, Sue. Are you still there? Nope. Great. Um, Belinda was saying backstage that that ethical bystander piece really played into um, the work that she does. And uh, we were wondering if there, if there was something that you could tell us about now. Could you give us some tips on being an ethical bystander if we were able to find you a chair on stage? I you would you do you want to? Yeah. Great, thank right. you. you a chair yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. So Sue's gonna come up on stage and join us. So excellent, super. Um, Michael, thank you very much, Michael, our tour manager. Always here for our spontaneity. Never really knows what's going to happen. Never, <laughs> never complains, um, which other tour managers definitely have. So thank you, Michael. Big round of applause for Sue. Yay! Excellent. Thank uh-huh. you. Thank, thank you for joining us, Sue. I'm going to give you the spine. And then someone's going to make this one live. Thank you so much. Okay, so come and join us because Belinda said backstage the ethical bystander stuff really worked in with her material and uh, we all decided we didn't want to wait a year to hear this and we don't know when we're coming back to tour. Hopefully sometime next year but um, just in case... And uh, anyway, we just thought we didn't want to wait a year anyway. So um, we've got some questions. Belinda and Nikki and I have got some questions about ethical bystander-ness. Um, how can we be ethical bystanders?
1: We have to start by owning our own privilege and understanding who we are in the world and what power that allows us to access. So I'm a white, cisgendered woman, but I'm a queer woman. So my power is... I'm white, I'm cisgendered, I'm middle to upper class, I'm educated, I have secure finances, I have a loving family. So it's not my position to speak on behalf of other communities, but it is my position to think about the power that I have in society to stand up when I see injustice and to think about how I'm going to do that in advance of seeing those injustices. So we have to pre-plan, right? Like being a good human being is a little bit like math. You have to actually give it a go and there's a formula to it and you've got to practice. Uh, But unlike math, there are lots of different ways to get to the same outcome. We just have to work out where we sit in that and what's comfortable. Do we have the power to intervene in something immediately Do we have the power to access help outside of the situation to make sure it doesn't occur again? Do we have the power to actually intervene with the person where something not okay happened and say to them, hey, that wasn't okay. I don't know what I could have done to stop that, but I just want to check in and see if you're okay. So there are lots of ways that we can actually activate our bystander and do something, but we have to pre-plan. We have to practice.
0: Okay. Um, So... Imagine now we're on a bus and we see uh, somebody on the bus being queerphobic or racist or sexually harassing somebody. What do we do?
1: You've got options. Oh, good. Yes. I love an option. <laughs> so the good news is you've got options. You can be direct. Now, funny people are very good at being direct. It's a way that we can diffuse a situation without escalating unsafety. So the first thing is we've got to work out how do we keep everybody safe in the situation? Keep ourselves safe, keep the people where bad things are happening to safe as well. Can you be funny? Can you stop it? Can you intervene? Can you say something directly to the person who's actually perpetrating the violence? So when you say be
0: funny, like just get up on the bus and start doing a bit of my stand-up? Sure, good. I mean that would deflect so. we are yeah, right? powerful, powerful people yes. in powerful. this situation I want to take my own mic now because they're little battery mics you know the ones that kids use at parties and yes. stuff yes I'll take a little mic out of my bag keep that charged imagine up imagine that and just stand up and go so have we got any Americans in this evening <laughs> on what a bus a hero. So long,
2: and just be like is this thing on uh, I mean, Let you've just apple. said tonight that we don't actually really have real jobs, but, but actually, this is why I wear the cape. Pa- the cape. You should pa- makes me feel more like, like a superhero. Just ride public transport at in in <laughs> dangerous vigilante.
0: Yeah, comedian. that's exactly okay. right.
1: Okay, all right. It would make the cape a tax deduction. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>
0: It's so hilarious that you think I haven't deducted the tax for this cape already, suit.
2: <laughs>
0: That's darling. Um, so, so you can be funny, if you yeah. can be
1: funny. And, and directly say something to the person. What, like,
0: why did the racists cross the road?
1: <laughs> Worth a shot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sometimes, I have found sometimes
2: comedy can escalate a situation as well.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. Don't I, smash plates. Yeah. Probably a good start. Um, so directly intervening, however, however your skills apply in that area. Now the thing that we know when people directly intervene is that lots of people who are trapped on that piece of public transport are all sitting there looking at their feet. And it's called diffusive responsibility. Right. Everybody's waiting for somebody to make the first move. Mm. Is this
0: the same Belinda in the culture of corporations that everyone looks at their feet? So they might have heard somebody say something that was negative. Uh, Something came up backstage with one of your colleagues saying um, uh, a colleague said something overtly racist about Aboriginal people. And she's just there, said it in front of her and to her, and she also is Aboriginal. And it, it, other people might have overheard that or, you know, in other contexts, but they just go, that's not cool, but I don't know how to challenge that person who might be senior, or I just don't want to make a,
3: make a fuss. Yeah, is that something that, that happens? Similarities, and that's when I was asking questions about you out, out the back. <laughs> um, but it's around that, there's the similarities to that genuine allyship and around dressing it. I usually. I'm a little bit curious, so I usually ask questions. So I usually address different things with curiosity, Mm. depending obviously where I am and what's, what's happened. But a lot of the times I use curiosity to get out where that's actually come from and then provide some facts.
0: Great. So you ask questions first. That's a really interesting thing because instead of that, making that person defensive by immediately saying, that's the wrong thing, you say, oh, why would you say that? And uh, ask them to explain it. And in the explanation, they may themselves realize that what they've said is wrong. Um, I, one of the pieces of advice I used to give women who were being sexually harassed, men in the city, in the, that's, in London, that's what they call the financial district, the city, um, men in the city, would often say really horrible sexually harassing things. And one of the strategies that I would give women would be to say, could you just repeat that? And they would never repeat it. And, and I said, if they start to repeat it, just get out your phone and put it on voice note and just put it for. Sorry, sorry, could you say that again a bit more loudly? They will never, they'll, uh, 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 uh. uh, uh and they lose status in not being able to repeat it. Mm. Um, and I think that's a, that's a really interesting one. So if, so Sue, to come back to you, if, if people are diffusing the behavior by looking at their feet, they're just going, oh, I don't know, I don't want to deal with it. What's your advice
1: uh, the first thing, if you're looking at your feet, is to recognise that you are actually saying something to the person who's being harmed. Which is, what's happening to you isn't important enough for me to pay attention to it. Mm. Or to do something about it. And so, looking at your feet doesn't actually diffuse the situation, it emboldens a perpetrator. And so, Normally, if you are the first person to stand up and say something or to create a distraction or to provide some solidarity to the person who's being harmed, you'll see people around you nod. Mm. They'll make the eye contact, which is, oh, yeah, thanks. I was just about to. Mm. Oh. <laughs> That's good. That's good, Sue. And, and, and that can actually reinforce the response and it becomes mm. a more collective response and safer But we are, as a society, trained to not count ourselves in to being part Mm. of the solution in those kind of public environments. Uh, And so we have to get over that inertia. We have to push ourselves Mm. to be the person that actually does something, anything.
0: I was once being harassed. I was very young. I was in London. It was my first time in London. And someone said, oh, can I be your boyfriend? And it was kind of scary. And I said, oh, no, this is my boyfriend, Bob, and turned to the man on the right And he went, yeah, I'm her boyfriend, Bob, and just played along. And then the couple across also pretended that they knew us. And then we were like this kind of whole collective. And uh, I've always remembered that. And I have thought in the past and since then heard that actually pretending to know the person can be one of those valuable things you can do because instead of then talking to the perpetrator, you can kind of go, you know, Sarah, are you okay? Like down from the other end of the bus And then start, if you can kind of catch other people's eyes, that we are together. We're all coming back from an event or something like that. Is that something that can
1: work? Absolutely. Um, And it works, particularly if you are not confident enough to make that move, to say to the person next to you, hey, can you see that? I don't think that's okay. We need to do something, but I don't know what to do.
4: Mm. I've got an
1: idea, but I can't execute it. Can you help me? Mm. So you can enlist people really overtly around you to actually participate in that as well. But providing a level of solidarity and breaking of that cycle of whatever is happening is really important. So even if you can't direct and redirect and change the person who's perpetrating the violence and make them think about their behaviour, what you can do is interrupt it and provide solidarity to the person who's been harmed. Got it.
2: You could even just, like, march up and down the bus aisle going, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, and then you've created distraction, comedy, you've united people. I think that's actually the only way to do it. Um, <laughs> I, the views of Nikki Britton are not necessarily those of the guilty feminists. <laughs> hey. uh, No, I don't know what to... I don't don't know what to... It's better than nothing, though, isn't it? Like, I don't know what to do. Just marching up and... I mean, who's going to... That's... Well, it's going to work, really, you think about it. I've thought of, Nikki, <laughs> I think I'm yes-anding this.
0: Thank I've you. often thought that we should do, we should have a song. You know, like, um, what do you call it when it's like a flash mob? Um, yes. I've thought we should have a song where we all learn a dance, all allies learn a dance. Yes. A flash mob dance. And if somebody's, because I honestly think, if someone is, like, attacking, some, being, like, bullying somebody with certainly, you know, othering them and bullying them, if we all had a song and you just put, someone just puts that song on and starts doing the steps and then other people will get to know those steps and we flash cuz how can you continue um misogynistic or homophobic or racist attack while people are kind of you know everybody in the bus starts going ah, 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 ah. you would just be like you, they'll lose their power and they'll get off the bus like you know it would just be really awkward and that way nobody's putting themselves in line of attack but it just helps is there something like that that we could do we all just start singing happy birthday do you know what i mean like, could, could we have like a happy good club? Is good. Yes. Could we have a club of something and we do that upstages and distracts and allows us to kind of physically surround that person without being like, oh, are you going to take me on too? Do you know what I mean?
1: So distraction is an incredibly valuable and valid technique.
2: Why are you Um, laughing so much? Well,
1: like I just think if you start a global movement around the song Happy Birthday, they're going to catch on. Yes.
0: (laughs) But I still think it's going to be hard for them to continue what they're doing if we're all around doing something joyful.
1: Absolutely. I I tell this story to university students when I uh, do ethical bystander uh, sessions with them around, and it's only funny if you used to buy wheat bix when they didn't make them gluten free, and the possibility of wheat bix ever being gluten free was just really far from imagination. (laughs) <laughs> um, but years and years ago I was shopping in Woolworths and there was a man who was berating his children and it was getting worse and worse oh. and we were doing that awkward thing where you lap each other mm. in the supermarket but I really needed to get to the canned goods so I couldn't mm. change my path no <laughs> and so Pans we just kept no, right. yeah. so we just kept lapping each other and it was getting worse and worse and he was starting to get physical so he was clamping his hand over the kid's hand oh, on the no. trolley and, and it was just it was escalating and I had a quick chat to a staff member I saw, um, who, I, I, like, I think was 12. Um, and, and so his one. response was, that's hard.
0: Um, oh. and
1: yeah, and I was like, oh, good on you. Um, but okay, we're on our own. Um, and there was one else in the shop. It was quite <laughs> late at night. And so when we got to the cereal aisle, two aisles short of the canned goods, um, I decided I had to do something. And so I just went up and I was like, oh, do you know where the gluten-free wee are? <laughs> oh, wow. And he was like, no, that's not a thing. And I was like, no, it really is. I'm sure it is. I've been sent to get gluten-free wee and all hell will break loose if I go home without them. <laughs> And we just started talking, and he was helping me look across wow. the aisle, and his kids were crying, and I was like, you're doing a really good job. It's late at night to be shopping. You two are amazing. And just kind of having a conversation. We couldn't find the gluten-free wheatbix because they didn't exist. Um, and the perfect crime. Right, exactly. Until they invented gluten-free wheatbix. LAUGHTER um,
0: and it didn't... So it, you deliberately looked for something you knew that wasn't findable that, so you could stay right. with him and defuse it and calm him down and, and, and it, encourage the children. And it
1: doesn't change the world. Those kids are still going to get mm, yelled at. Mm, Bad things yeah. are going to happen in that environment. But in that moment, it changes. It mm. just diffuses that moment for a second, mm. gives an opportunity for those kids to be seen to know Mm. that there are other people in the world looking out for them, Mm. but also to try and de-escalate and Mm -hmm. maybe it stopped that incident for just a moment. And that's sometimes all we can do. Mm -hmm. Mm. But what you're not doing is going, you're being
0: a terrible parent, right, you don't understand riling him up so that when he gets the kids out to the car park, he's even more... Mm. Aggressive to them, so right. you're diffusing his his state. Yeah, or
1: or takes a swing at me. It was a yeah. late night shop. Mm. There was only a twelve year old at the checkout. Mm. There, oh. were, there weren't any safety Labelors. options He was yeah. going to outrun me. Yeah. So you know, picking a picking an option that meant that mm. I was safe, he was safe, and that hopefully the kids were a little bit safer mm. just for that moment.
2: Yeah, it is hard to do the happy birthday song in that circumstance, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. When it's just you yeah, trying just to enrol like, the 12-year-old yeah, happy bird, Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not going yeah.
0: My flash mob in an empty supermarket is going to just be me
2: going, watermelon sugar. <laughs> watermelon. I'm just going to look, frankly, unhinged. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's going to be a great story, though. The family will be, remember that night Dad got the shits, but that woman just started singing... <laughs> Just doing her Harry Styles, you know. uh, One of the gluten-free weight picks. What was that about? Yeah. (laughs) Good times.
0: Um, Listen, we've got to finish our show, but um, before we bring on the phenomenal Grace Petrie, can I just ask, um, Belle, is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say?
3: Um,
0: Anything you'd like help with or anywhere you'd like us to find you or anything you'd like us to know?
3: No, I think we all just need to do our bit and, you know... Pick, pick situations give people a go address our bias and so we can make a change Great
0: and Corajo is C-U-R-I-J-O look it up and lighting the spark Sue is there anything you came to say I mean you didn't come to say anything honestly <laughs> I mean you came to have a nice night out and yeah and that's been ruined um, <laughs> but is there anything that you would like to say that you didn't get to say
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've said too much. <laughs> you have not I've said too, too much. Uh, I will give a little bit of a plug uh, yeah. for the Domestic Violence Crisis Service here in Canberra. Um, it would be remiss of me not to. Uh, we are always looking for Um, supporters and sponsors and donors and people to attend our events but more importantly we're always looking for people to share our information so that if somebody is impacted by domestic family or intimate partner violence here in the ACT they can easily find us. We run a 24-hour crisis service uh, and there is always someone available to answer that phone so please find us on social media, share our information and make sure that the people in your community who may whether known to you or not, need our support, can get to us quickly.
0: Wonderful. Do you need money?
1: We always need money.
0: They need money. How do you donate money?
1: Uh, you can have a look at our website. There's information there. Uh, if you are a bright spark with a great idea and want to host an event, then we are always happy to work with you to do something magical like that too.
0: Wonderful. Sue, can we get you or someone like you into our organisation to talk about being an ethical bystander and do a workshop and ha- let us role play that? Because I'd like to role play more things with you. Absolutely. Great. I'd like to role play more things with you. Just, just you know, next time I'm in town. But I, I, I don't know if you do private sessions. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not being rude, that sounded no, rude, I realised yeah, that now.
1: Yeah, that took an awkward
0: turn. No, no, <laughs> I, don't mean, I don't mean it like that, I just like improv, and Happy I just, birthday <laughs> <to you. laughs> Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday! I just meant, like, Nikki, you and I would be, queen good time role-playing ethical bystandering. Can, look how much you work. Can we get on a real bus and, like, workshop? That's what I'm saying. I didn't... I wasn't propositioning you and I feel bad now. But thank you for distracting. I don't think anyone noticed because I think that really distracted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Keep it saddle. <laughs> um, great. Okay, so, um... Think of, think of these two when you've got, if you've got any kind of business at all, and uh, get them in. And if you could donate uh, to the crisis centre, then please do. In the meantime, you've got lots of other things you can be doing with Amnesty, with Hillary. Um, You can be donating to Marissa's um, 10 to 12-year animation project. (laughs) Listen, there's so much Canberra. You're plugged into each other. If you saw someone here tonight you haven't connected with for a while, get in touch with them. What are they doing? What are you doing? Can you help each other? I've seen some wonderful acts of feminism tonight, but none better than I'm just going first so you can go second. And Sometimes that's what we need in a sister. That's what we need. That's what we need. Um, Canberra, when I came out on the stage tonight, I was worried that it was going to be a little bit of a three o'clock in the afternoon ABC radio hour. But we have finished on a revolution that teeters on an orgy. (laughs)
4: Hello.
5: <laughs> a revolution It is on orgy. My goodness me. I <laughs> don't know what my Catholic grandma would say about any of this, to be honest. <laughs> um, so I'm going to uh, just do you a couple more songs. Um, so uh, has, it, has anyone heard, heard me on the podcast before? Yeah. Okay, cool. You probably will have heard this song. I've done it quite a few times on The Guilty Feminist, but I like to do it at the live shows because it's always good fun. Um, uh, This song is called Black Tie. Um, Ah, thanks very much. And it's a song about being a butch lesbian, right? That's what I am, Canberra. I'm a butch lesbian. And, uh... You know, I'm happy to be able to say that. You know, at the age of nearly 35, I'm very proud to be a butch lesbian, right? But it took me a very long time to be proud of it. I was ashamed of it for years and years and years and years, um, and uh, and it wasn't until I was like nearly 30 that I, I realised that I had the option of not being ashamed of it. And when I discovered that, I wrote this letter. I wrote this song as like a letter to my teenage self, basically saying, you know. Uh, there's nothing wrong with you. You're exactly perfect as you are. And uh, and what I've learned in you know five years of singing this song is whoever you are, wherever you come from, whatever your journey is, whether you're queer or not, whether you're a lesbian or not, um, everyone's got a lonely teenager inside them somewhere who needs to hear that, I think. So this is for anyone who's ever felt like that. Um, are you up for a bit of singing? So this song has got a a sing-along line in the the chorus where um, I'm gonna sing, uh, it's like a call and response where I'm gonna do the first bit and you are gonna reply the second bit. Um, It's a little bit sweary, I hope that's okay. There's nothing I can do about it if it isn't okay, to be honest, Um, I can't can't censor the line. Uh, For two reasons, number one, uh, it is a rhyming couplet. You know, so my hands are tied. Uh, and number two, it's literally the greatest achievement of my life. This lyric, so you know, I can't, I can't hide it under a bushel. Um, a joke for all the Catholics in the room, hello. Um, see you in therapy. Um, uh, <laughs> hey. Um, so the, the line is, the images that fucked you were a patriarchal structure, right? So, uh, oh, thank you very much. So I'm going to do the first bit, and you're going to reply to the second bit a bit like this. And the images that fought you were a patriarchal structure. Amazing, cool. I oh, you to sing that as loud as you possibly can, and then the, the patriarchy that's wandering by outside Canberra, well, it's going to hear your, your revolution t-shirt on an orgy. <laughs> and it's going to think, fuck, my days are numbered, you know? That's what we're aiming for, right? Uh, are you with me? Come, on. goes this.
4: 2018, I didn't think we'd still be sorting babies into blue and pink and all our progress, I wonder what it means And the only girls' clothes that work for me turn out to be for jeans, well, that's fine cos I decline a narrow set of rules that just don't work and these red lines and all I got was a tough Well, that's fine Cos I didn't climb Your narrow set of rules that just don't work These red lines They're not mine If you need me, you can find me I in my shirt Cos I'm in black tie tonight Get a postcard to buy Constructing to make it seem like people come in just to you Fear. And the image is the function World-based vehicle structure And you never will surrender To that narrow view of gender. And there's folks you've yet to meet But you're exactly on their street And they've been waiting just as long To hear someone sing this song Better days are on their way But it won't matter what they say on the labels and on the tools You will feel you
0: I've been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co host Nikki Britton, and my very special guest, Belinda Kendall, with music from Grace Petrie. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodger, produced by Nick Sheldon, the producer for this modern age, was Tom Selinski, thanks to Beyond Jodie and Bone Presents, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com.
2: The knife is too dry and dull, dear Liza. The knife is too dull. It's not dry yet. Just pretend that didn't happen. (laughs) The knife is too dull. Oh, the knife's too dull. The fucking knife's too dull. Is it? You know what else is dull, Henry? (laughs) Then wet it. Oh, hang on. No, sharpen it. (laughs) a quick edit here sometimes I think. Um. The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively
0: from ACAST. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.